the power suit community is telling us what they want to know. And one of the strong themes in the last week or two has been this feeling of this unbearable weight of other people's problems and mm. the expectation of solving them. <laughs> Welcome to Power Up, the podcast that uncovers the unique challenges women leaders face today. Join your hosts, Nat and Kristen, as we dive into the tough topics and provide actionable insights you can apply right now. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Hello, hello. Thanks for listening. Today, we're chatting about the downsides of solving other people's problems. And we all do it from, I think you've got some good examples about kids' shoelaces, <laughs> through to friends' romances, through to just everyday little bits and pieces at work. We all get all these problems thrown at us. It feels sometimes left, right and centre, we're slammed with other people's problems. So we're really curious today about why, how we can change our mindset on it, if there's anything to change and what we might do instead. In today's episode, we are looking kind of at the perfect storm. We've spoken in the past about mental load, doing other people's work. Do we really need to solve everyone's problems? And we kind of like to. And it's probably human nature. So we're going to chat a little bit about that. So we've got three things we're going to cover. Why do we solve other people's problems? Why is it not always a good idea to solve other people's problems? And is there a better way of approaching it? Yeah. Just ask mum. I ask mum to solve all my problems. Ah, same. Don't you? Do you? Actually, do you know what? I sometimes ask mum, but I often ask dad as well. And and it's funny because, yeah, I know, I think it's happened more as I've gotten older. The biggest example I have is that time that I thought I was going insane because I'd parked my car outside, but I was going through this extremely stressful time. I came back to find it and my car was gone. I hadn't driven it for a couple of weeks. And I honestly thought I was going insane. And I was just like, I have lost my car. Who loses their car? First call, dad. I was just bawling on the street and dad was perfect and he probably would be a great example of problem solving he didn't even care about the problem he just spent a lot of time trying to calm me down and just telling me it was okay to lose my car and that people lose their cars all the time which is probably a lie did you find it? Yeah, it had been towed by the council. Oh, they so were it had been towed. I was yeah, like... so I wasn't insane. But I just thought, <laughs> okay. if we're talking about problem solving, that was a perfect example of he knew what I needed in the moment, which yeah. wasn't to find my car. Yeah. It was to not feel like I was going insane because my car was gone. But you know how you ask some people because you're going to get an opinion? And if you listen to that opinion or not, that solution, it, you kind of know in advance the type of person you're approaching. And yeah. if it's my mum, I want her opinion. Yeah. And... I would say 80% of the time I take her advice or I talk her into why I'm not going to take it and we come up with a better solution. But yeah, it's just interesting that I do go to my mom. I feel like she knows me so well and she's quite pragmatic and takes a smart approach. So I don't know. I do think we go to our moms for advice. I would go to my moms for advice. My moms, my mom. (laughs) I only have one mum. <laughs> and but then also I have some friends who are probably the same. Like you probably yeah. break down your friends by who do I go to for advice? Who do I go to for listening? Who do I go to if it's like right now I need to go out for a drink and just vent? Yeah, like there's, there's just have those. someone listen. So why do we solve other people's problems, Kristen? Well, I think, Nat, if I look back at the last six to eight years of our career, we have kind of put ourselves into leadership roles. And so people do look to us for answers. That's a very natural thing when you're in a leadership role. People expect that you've got answers. They expect you've been through a number of things. You've navigated all sorts of challenges. But I think me personally, 
I suppose I like it. I get, I get, I feel needed. I like that people want to hear my opinion of them. I'm willing to give people the time because of that. So probably an ego thing. It's really interesting because I think this week, the reason we're talking about this week, which has actually started to happen a bit, is the power suit community is telling us what they want to know. And one of the strong themes in the last week or two has been this feeling of this unbearable weight of other people's problems and mm. the expectation of solving them. So I'm the same. I've been digging into why I try and solve other people's problems. And for me, one of the um, most common ones is relationships. I, I am surrounded by a lot of single ladies. We've all seen each other go through different ups and downs we've mm. seen each other make great choices and poor choices and all sorts of things and I was trying to think for the last week why do we when your friend's going through something like that you want to just tell them the answer you mm. just want to say dump that guy he's an idiot or whatever the answer is and really what it's boiled down to and I and I started googling it as well for the newsletter is yeah it's something about it's so uncomfortable being with problems like yeah. problems are uncomfortable we are empathetic people it feels yucky to see someone in pain yeah so that's a very delightful empathetic side of us we also like to be in control yeah and we do i think you're right with that ego hit of it feels good to mm. be the person people rely on yeah. and so actually there's a lot of and i don't want to use the word selfishness because it's not bad selfishness but it's actually about us that we want to solve other yeah problems. and and that's so true because using the kids example we want to minimize our children's pain, I think, as parents. Like, you want them just to have this nice life, even though that's probably the worst thing for them. So when they encounter problems that are challenging and you're seeing them suffer, it's holding them back, you want to jump in and solve that problem for them because it's, I don't know if that's biological, like protection or pain minimizing or wanting to be helpful or needed. Who knows? But yeah it's really easy to do i think um, and as a non-parent i still find it if i see a, one of my nieces or nephews fall over i just want to pounce on them and fix it for them yeah. it's like maybe it is biological but then there's also i think that word pain is really important that mm. we hate to see other people in pain and so we default to the fastest way to fix it the other thing we hate to do is feel pain ourselves and quite often one of the biggest excuses i've heard in the last couple of weeks for fixing other people's problems is i can do it faster and it's just annoying to sit and watch or it's going to take way too long and it's yeah. just easier for me to jump in and yeah. i think we we should really question that because yeah. yes it's it, it may take you less time but if you are in a position that it was actually fine for them to take three times as long do you need to save that time you could save a hundred percent of the time by not jumping in at all yeah and you had mentioned kids shoelaces up at the top in the intro and I just use that as an example I think I was pretty good for empowering, enabling my children to kind of learn and do lots of stuff themselves, and you just have have to have lots of patience. But you're at the if you're at the door, and they're having they're struggling, and you've got to get them to kindy kindergarten, or you've got to get them to school, and you are going to be late because you then have to get to work, and they're struggling with their zipper, and most kids want to do it themselves, or struggling with their shoelaces. That's the perfect analogy to why we jump in because we've got stuff to do, we're juggling a lot of stuff, and but it's also the perfect analogy for the development that that interrupts, that they are literally learning tactile, like how to do things and how to problem solve, and you're interrupting that because, well, yeah, you wanna get going 
I, and, and if we use those as extreme examples, another one would be around the house when you're in a relationship with someone who's like, oh, you just do this better for me than me. Oh, okay, fine. I'll jump in and do the thing. Yeah. Those are, in some ways, in my opinion, quite extreme examples in the sense that they are such obvious ones, that, or obvious traps that we all fall into, that yeah. we, we are solving the problem of not having enough time, of being in a hurry, of not actually just investing a little bit of time now to yeah. upskill someone on something. And then we teach people how to treat us. And yeah. what that leads to is they become... I don't want to say learned helplessness because I think that is a medical term for people who've been through abusive situations. I think there is probably a minor level of that is, yeah, learned dependency. Yeah. And we, so we actually create a much bigger rod for our back. And I'm curious to know, why, why do you think it's not a good idea? I mean, we've alluded to that with it's a rod for your back. Problem solving in the knowledge economy is so, so, so important. And when we hire people in most of our organizations now, you're looking for people that are self-starters, that can solve problems, that are curious about the world, and that have the ability to learn. We are all born without the ability to solve problems, like we are, and so it's all learned. And if we're interrupting it over and over and over again, they're not developing those needs. So the two things I learned that letting go and letting people solve them themselves increases resilience and ingenuity. Because you've all been in that situation where you've, I don't know, traveling overseas and got yourself lost and you have to be really creative if you don't speak the language and you have to figure out where I'm going and where I am. And so that is is kind of that ingenuity and that creativity and development. Again, it's a muscle to be used, but then also that resilience because it's hard to go through some of that stuff and it's scary and you go through this gamut of emotions, but it is the only thing that makes you more comfortable. Like I got through that and I am more resilient than I thought and I can probably do it again. Yeah, I agree. I think that sort of life experience thing that is actually a gift you can give people. But why is it not always a good idea? You're saying it is because you build resilience. You learn how to back yourself. You yeah. learn how to identify and take ownership over things. I think the other reason that I've I've seen a lot recently or been thinking about a lot recently is we all want different things and we're motivated by different things. So I keep harking back to the relationship example. But what I feel like I might want in a relationship is quite different to what one of my friends might want. So if I'm putting my lens over their situation and giving them all sorts of advice to in quotation marks solve their problem I'm actually not helping them at all I'm actually just another voice that's probably feeding into their insecurities or worries without and almost being the opposite of helpful and I think I I mean we've all been there where someone gives you unsolicited advice so annoying and you're just like I want to hear it or actually you've asked (laughs) for it but they give it to you in a way a, a way that is just doesn't feel like they've listened or care about what you want in it they just want to do it their way I struggle with this one because I've been called tell it like it is Kristen like I can be really frank with my opinion when we were doing the self-limiting beliefs I just realized that everything is in our lens and I was putting my lens of my life on other that was a huge realization to me that when people come to me for advice I'm giving them advice only through my learned experiences and we've learned through PowerSuit people get mentors and people get coaches and sponsors but people seek advice through their careers and the biggest difference between the mentor is the mentors only giving you advice through their perspective how they got there and so in a way that's powerful but a coach I don't know I've just been pondering this as we've been speaking to coaches and they're even like 10x more powerful because and probably play different roles to be fair but they look to you they know you have the answers and that's like lifelong sustainability so I've really questioned my role 
as an ally and as a mentor because it mm. is, and I probably have to just caveat it and say, in my experience, or this is what I've seen, or this is how I've got there. Mm, yeah, That's really interesting because I think coming from a research background and we've we've been doing a few interviews recently and it's amazing how often people thank you at the end of an interview because you've just been asking them questions yes. for about an hour. Yeah. And the most, and what I've learned is one of the most, and this is what we've learned from coaches as well, is one of the most powerful tools is coming to your own realizations. And anyone can tell you a million times they're a piece of advice but if you can get to that same conclusion on your own or a different one it sticks yes. and so I think that I agree with you the role of coaches is so <sighs> powerful but also yeah just realizing sometimes when we feel the weight of solving other people's problems that we actually may not be solving them at all they may not even be asking us to solve them they may just want to chat it through and yeah. and reframing problem solving as what what is my role in it well Firstly, it's to listen, is to really listen and understand what the actual problem is they're trying to solve rather than jumping in with whatever someone tells you straight away. But also the first role in problem solving is to just get really curious about, tell me more. Yeah. Why do you experience that? How, why do you think it makes you feel like that? What have you tried to do about it? Yeah. Have they, you know, all of those sorts of questions, the, the five whys and, the, and just actually thinking of it more as a brainstorming on the problem feels like most of the time, and we've been doing this a lot through PowerSuit with one-on-ones with different people, they get to the they get to their own solution very very quickly with yeah. just a few questions. Yeah. Do you think that people are less resilient nowadays? Cuz I know parenting styles have changed quite a bit. And do you think that this next generation is less resilient than we were than the previous generation well, was? Well, probably because way back in cave people times we had to go <laughs> like but it's true like we we can be less Survive. resilient because <laughs> The world has gotten easier and how great is it that the world has gotten easier Mm. but I do also think that each generation just does think the next generation has life easier is less resilient but I wonder with resilience it does feel like it's a double-edged sword in that we probably romanticize our upbringings because we survived them and we thrived and we did really well there was a lot of damage that was done through what I would call unsafe failure where people were left to fail and like they really hurt themselves or really bad things happen. So I think learning from that, this generation of parents is, it does actually respect and think that it's a much better idea to protect your children a bit more. What, What I wonder if you're alluding to and what I probably agree with is then you release these delightful, beautiful butterflies into the workforce and people like, in our generation don't relate because yeah, no. we're looking at it we're looking at work from your problem solve you nut it out all night you put your hand up and you see this totally different generation who fundamentally think differently than us yeah. and we've actually noticed that in the last two weeks as well this culture clash of these slightly older women who still look very young men dealing with 20 year old women or 25 year old women and just going I don't get you I want to support you I want to help you but you just behave so differently to me and our advice and our problem solving is to try and make them act more like us I think yeah yeah because we don't understand and we just wish they would toughen up and do the job I think yeah and so a few a few thoughts I have is that I know parenting styles have changed first of all we are probably much more nurturing and sensitive with our children I read this hilarious article yesterday in New York Times that said, welcome to the 
um, welcome to the earnest parenting generation. And it's all about, I understand you feel frustrated. And so it's empathizing with their feelings and letting them talk it through. And it takes a lot of time and effort, which was kind of this funny uh, observant of this parental style, which was great. But I think a couple of things. One, our the freedom of children has gotten much, much smaller. Mm. So I think there's, there's studies that they used to have, I don't know, four square blocks of freedom in maybe when I was growing up, now they've got less than one. And so there's less freedom, less exposure to problem solving, even climbing trees nowadays, all the playgrounds are being changed, everything's being kind of sanitized and safe. It's not as bad in in New Zealand as it is in the States where it's really litigious society, but it's just interesting that are we thinking about kind of interrupting that problem solving pattern? But on the upside, we have kids that are much more able to express their feelings and are much more transparent and bringing themselves to work, their whole selves to work and feeling safe to do that. So it's, it's just, it's interesting. Yeah, I think it mm. is interesting. And I think that problem solving thing, because, and it's a, another can of worms. Every time we open one, we're like, whoa, there we go again. <laughs> <laughs> but it is problem solving. And maybe that's what I meant before is there's problem solving that's really effective. And then there's problem solving that's actually really bad and that whole like I'm just going to run off and do this to prove that I'm a self-starter and I'm independent and I resent that anyone takes my autonomy away from me because I've got this through to the I am paralyzed with indecision because I've never been through this before I've never built resilience I've never failed and somewhere in the middle is the right answer and I think I I think you're bang on for me failure has been the biggest form of ways to learn how to problem solve Mm. and I think I've had some pretty spectacular fails in my life um most people know by now that I was in a pretty rough relationship early on that was a massive failure there were so many sub fails in there with businesses with life choices and grappling my way out of them trying Mm. to figure out how to get out of them um taught me a lot however if a friend of mine is now in that same boat it obviously brings back huge amounts of memories for me it would not be the right help to give them yeah. to tell them what I would do because yeah. I'm putting my lens on it. Oh, so. It's very restraining of you. And you have you have a product approach with, with a good way of looking at problem solving. So do you want to share that a little bit? And then we can talk about some examples of people way that have helped us do it the right way. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I feel like that um, if we're thinking about a better way to solve a problem, and this actually... Uh, my thinking on this, which we'll talk about in the newsletter this week, has been framed by a really, really good friend of mine who started to announce a couple of months ago, I'm not on that committee. And I just loved it. And Mm. I asked her about it. And she was someone who felt that she would easily get under the weight of everyone's problems. And she was a real go-to person. And there was a little bit potentially of an identity in that, that she was a really resilient, helpful person. And then she suddenly realized almost reframed problems as a as a project. Each pro- problem is a project and each project has a committee to problem solve it. And sometimes it could just be a one person committee. Sometimes it's a few people. And she actively got to choose which committees she wanted to join. Mm. And when she started thinking about the world like that, when someone would come to her with a problem or vent or moan, rather than diving straight in and solving it, she started to go, do I want to be on that committee or is that not my committee? Mm. And so she, by phrasing it like that, she can make better choices. And I've started to use the same tactic. And it's really interesting just to see each problem as a project and go, do I want to commit to this project or do I not? So from a product mindset, I feel like that fits quite nicely. The other approach that I think I've learned, because I just think everything 
crosses over everything and you can apply the same mindsets to different things. When we are looking at building products, we always start with the problem. And one of the biggest things you'll start to notice if you take this on board is that most people tend to phrase a solution as a problem. So by the time people come to you with their problem in quotation marks, it's normally a solution. It'll normally be yeah. something like, oh, could you help me figure out some tactics I could use and because I'm not coming across like this? Or, yes. hey, I'm not really a good communicator. Can yeah. you help me with this? Or and, and you'll think it's a problem, but the first thing you do if you're in product development is go, why do you want that? What led you to need to think that this was the case? And get really curious about the problem. And I'm going to say nine times out of 10, but actually I'm going to call it and say 10 times out of 10. The problem they come to you with is not the problem. Yeah. And there's always something deeper or something, they've been told something, there's a scenario, there's a confidence thing, whatever it is. So mm. just get really, really curious about the problem. And I think going back to that committee analogy, if you choose to be on the committee, there's always multiple roles on the committee. Yeah. And again, we're writing about it in the newsletter, but one of the roles is cheerleader. Mm. Are you the person that they come to and all you need to do is just be like, you've got this, I back you. You've got everything you need. If you have anything specific that you want help with, let me know, but you got this and yeah. that's all your role is. Or are you the researcher? Are you the one who's digging in and finding out what the actual problem is? There's so many, when you actually think about all the roles on the committee, rather than defaulting to problem solving and the way we always do of like coming up with the solution, yeah. pick a different role, put a different hat on and get really curious about how you might dive into that. And listening, active listening is a big key thing because mm -hmm. by the time you come to solution mode in product development, that's four steps down the track. Like yeah. that's not, that's not the first thing we do. So I think we could all take a little bit from that, maybe not to be giving out advice, but <laughs> <laughs> to just reframe how we think of being yeah. on a committee. Yeah, curiosity is so important with every one of those roles because you have to figure out what hat am I wearing and how can I best support in that role? But I mm. like taking it from I am the expert giving solutions to I'm sitting on, I don't know, this curiosity committee and I might have all sorts of different roles. And, so, and one of them might yeah. be the problem solver. One of them might yeah. be spitballing some ideas like, our mums and that's actually okay but that's just one of multiple yeah. roles and we all default to that one role yeah 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 and we were in a workshop last week where uh, they felt as though people were coming to them to solve all the problems because they, you know, women who get shit done are really fast at solving problems. And we wrote a little bit about that in how to not take on other people's work. And the fifth one was stop jumping in to help. It's just saying, you know, you've got the solution in you. Why don't you go away and have a think? And if you're coming to me with small problems, maybe also suggest a solution. And then I can give feedback on that or something like that. Sometimes it's a bit of retraining. But it's just the, getting really specific, isn't yeah. it? Of like, tell me what your solution is, yeah. and we can workshop that. Yeah. But don't just come to me with a problem. Like, yeah. we don't. We do, we can set the expectation. It's always expectation setting. Yeah. Absolutely. So examples of people doing it right. Um, I'll walk through a scenario that worked for me, and this was a leader that is clearly skilled in doing this. Watch what which was a challenging problem at the time, which was quitting my job. <laughs> so the first thing he did, this guy who I consider, I don't know, is it mentor sponsor in my life? Who knows? But he listened without interrupting. We were walking along the waterfront and he just listened and he didn't interrupt and he let me get it all out. He might have asked me the odd clarifying question because he needed to understand the context and how he could be helpful. 
and really understand, like active, active listening. He also acknowledged my feelings, like he was really empathetic, like that must be really hard and no one can take away this incredible thing you've done. And so he made me feel great and he heard my problem. So that was the first step. And then he helped me to articulate the core issue, like what was the thing? What was the actual problem? When we got really curious with that, so to your point of why, 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 why and getting curious, we got to the root of what the core issue was and it was, it was simply, it, it was, I wasn't happy there anymore. So that was the core issue. And then interestingly, before brainstorming possible solutions, of which there were a few, he actually asked about stakeholders, which I found really interesting. He said, who are the stakeholders in this problem? And I was like, wow, that's a weird, really weird question to ask. Oh, so but good. all of a sudden I had to go, oh, okay, well, me quitting my job means my family are stakeholders. So he asked me how they would feel about it. Mm -hmm. uh, possibly my other family, like my dad, because mm -hmm. that's like, you want to be, have your dad be proud of you. And what would that feel like? Well, we're not quite like? 50 yet. So we still rely on our parents <laughs> to give us permission. Isn't it to crazy? <laughs> anyway, that was incredible. The stakeholders is amazing because it's often one person. You're not alone in this world. You have all sorts of people around you that rely on you that, you know, could be financially dependent on you. So he asked me about that, which was great. And then we went into brainstorming possible solutions. We identified two or three different paths I could take. We looked at the pros and cons of each. And by the end of the conversation, I made the, the decision and I knew it. And then I called you. But yeah, it, it was it was really great. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Because I think that that walks through that kind of the committee thing of yeah. he walked through all the different hats. Yeah. He started with the listening ear and the cheerleader and the and then he walked you through the coach role of yes. who's involved, what do you, and then the problem researcher role and yeah. then all the way through to solutioning. I love it. That was great. I think uh, I don't know why I'm fixated on relationships, but I think it's because I had a real light bulb moment with my last relationship yeah. where I got myself in quite a pickle. It was just a bit of a, it wasn't a good match, yeah. was it? Kristen yeah. had to deal with a year of me whining about it. Of you being in a pickle. <laughs> of me being in a pickle. And I got myself, I couldn't get out of it. And it wasn't like I was trapped. I was mentally trapped. And I thought the problem was with the person I was in a relationship with. I was like, oh, he needs to fix this. Oh, he needs to do this. And it was only right at the end. There were two really clear people who gave me really clear questions that really changed my mindset. First one was surprisingly my leadership coach who I mangled into all sorts of therapist roles and everything else. But she said, when was the first time you set a boundary and he broke it? And I was like, oh, that would have been about a weekend <laughs> she was like okay so in life you have boundaries that are like please don't throw your towels on the floor and people break it and you're like oh that's a bit annoying and then you have boundaries yeah. like please don't contact me and if they do that's a real break of a boundary why did you not ex why did you not enforce that boundary what led you to think it was okay to keep going and that was a real eye-opening question for yeah. me because what that uncovered is the actual problem for me was I felt like I had to be better at relationships and I had to stay in this relationship and I had to do the right social things because I'd been single for so long that I was like I'll just accept all my boundaries get trampled over because that's what you're meant to do in relationships so she really highlighted the yeah, actual right. problem to me and then the second friend, who is a really old school friend of mine, we were walking along the Otaki River up north, and she just said, do you think you would give the same advice to other people as what you're doing right now? Uh, and I was like, oof, 
no, I would yeah. kill you all if you were doing what I was doing right now. And again, both of them were questions. Both of them were oh. just these real pointed questions that forced me to stop and think about my situation from a different point of view. And then the rest was really simple. I could come up with the solutions in a flash. It was very, very easy. But it was actually understanding what the problem was that was the big blocker for me. Yeah, I, I, yeah, oh, so good. We now good. have a new problem, which is Juno's just come in. Yep. And we're not going to problem solve this because she's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that's great. I love the questions. I also, well, what I've learned this week through doing this podcast is asking permission. If people, can I share a thought? Mm. If I'm going to be curious, fine, and ask questions. But if I want to switch to advisor hat asking permission to do that and then also just saying I'm in putting a mentor or an advisor hat on and I'm just going to share with you from my perspective or my lens which is great so I, I actually learned a lot and um, I love that because yeah. I think that's weird like would you like me to put my advisor yeah. hat on and take it or leave it and you're allowed to or would <sighs> so you like good. me to put my questioning hat on yeah. I, I really like that language for a because we all, we all do get so many problems thrown at us and sometimes they're perceived problems. Sometimes it's people just come to us and I, I'm guilty of this one. I just want to moan. I'm just annoyed and I want to moan and I don't want anyone to solve it. I just want to be able to like, blah. Yeah. And ideally people are like, great, I'm just putting my listening hat on and I'm just going to say that must be really terrible. Yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. so sorry you're going through that. Yeah. And so I good. can't fix it. And I'm not even going to try because yeah. you're going to figure it out. Yeah. So anything you want to talk about Parasuit this week? Are we excited about anything? Do we want to celebrate success? Do we want to share any? We we finished our first cut of our pilot pitch. Yes. Our first cut. And that in, in terms of asking for feedback, we sent that out to about probably 20 people, did we? Yes. 20 really trusted people who have ripped it apart in the best possible way. And I think that was such a great example of being vulnerable because it's scary when you're like this is our first tiny baby of this thing and and the power as well of feedback and that these incredible people have come at it from different angles and really challenged it and it's gonna be tenfold better and it's just like such a rewarding thing to ask for feedback and get just all these amazing brains on things so highly recommend it but it's also been like a massive step forward for us this week the next iteration is going to be a million times yeah I feel it's great and the only last thing I'd add because I totally agree with you the feedback's been amazing I look forward to digesting it more tomorrow but we alluded to success as part of PowerSuit and I had a friend write me on LinkedIn and she's like what are you selling I don't even understand and so just for everyone's benefit we're starting our product development journey with PowerSuit and we're starting it in a really manual way where we're going into organizations and we want to work with women in their organizations and we want to work with those on the way up we want to support them through whatever challenges it might be negotiating salary it might be having their voices heard it might be uh, you know going for the next role and navigating politics or thinking more broadly across the organization and strategically so we are selling our services into businesses and we've had a couple jobs so far which has been fabulous this will help us in the ultimate kind of world global scalable product but it's been really exciting so we are ref- currently refining our pitch deck or kind of our pilot program that we will subsequently send into organizations so that's what we're up to it's super exciting and we it look forward really to sharing exciting. more yeah. and just and and just to add to that when we're talking about going in and supporting women one of the things that one of the principles that power suit is based on is women don't need fixing we don't need fixing we need a playbook and most of the world is set up 
not necessarily thinking about the way we have to navigate it. And yeah. example being, you're a 30 year old woman managing a 50 year old man. You have to play that game quite differently than if the roles were reversed. Yeah. So what we aim to do with Power Suit is really transform how women are supported and make sure that we're getting what we need, the tools we need to be able to navigate those situations. It's not about fixing us. It's not about solving our problems. It's about actually wrapping women in the questioning, the challenging, and trying to figure out how we can build our own playbooks to succeed however we want, which yeah. is, I think, a really different take. Well, we hope it's a really different take and one that might actually get to the core of what we need to be able to really attack this leadership gap and the gender pay gap and all of these different gaps that we want to de demolish. Yeah. Here, here. So in the meantime, please visit powersuit.com. We love to, uh, you know, we're, we're giving lots of helpful articles every week. Sign up for our newsletter. Thanks for tuning in. Give us five stars and find us on socials. And, and we'll, follow us. Yeah, follow, follow us. us. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.